You know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a fraction of what they really have? The streaming service actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only about 6,000 of those are available in the good old US of A. That means you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows. Unless, of course, you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location, protecting your devices from unwanted snooping and allowing you to control where streaming services and other websites think you're located. There are over 100 different locations to choose from, which means you have access to thousands of new shows and movies no matter where you live. This doesn't just work with Netflix, it works with Disney+, Hulu, Max, a UK streamer called BBC iPlayer, and more. I was on a work trip in the UK during the final season of Game of Thrones, and I tried logging into my HBO account to watch a new episode, but the technology wouldn't let me because of geoblocking. And I wish I had this app at that moment, because I now realize how incredibly easy it is to work around that problem. Here's a more recent example. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not streaming on Netflix in the US, but I just fired up the episode where Dennis tries to have a peaceful mental health day and technology keeps interrupting his plans. All I had to do was open ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, refresh Netflix, and the show just popped up. It's super easy. I've also heard good things about that show called Billions, but I've never been a Showtime subscriber, so I've never seen it. But it's actually available right now on Netflix in South Korea, and with ExpressVPN, it took five seconds to switch over and start checking it out. With ExpressVPN, you get high-quality streaming from devices like your phone, laptop, tablet, and TV. And crucially, it protects your privacy and security to keep your information safe from hackers. Stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you all three extra months free when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash slash film. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slash film to get three extra months completely free. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, July 12th, 2022. On today's episode of the show, we are going to gather around the virtual water cooler and talk about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor, Huachan Bui. Hey, everyone. HT, how is it going? What have you been doing recently? Uh, it's been going well. It's been a while since I've been on the water cooler, so I have like... I mean, not that many fun life updates. They're just like, oh, this is what I've been doing for the past two months, which is very boring, actually. (laughs) But um, the first thing I did was I spent Memorial Day weekend with Michael Mann movies. Okay, so (laughs) what does that mean? So my big secret, I guess, is that for a long time, up until just last month, uh, the only Michael Mann movie I'd seen was Public Enemies. (laughs) Okay, yeah. So I decided to remedy that. Um, Museum Moving Image in New York City in Queens was doing a special retrospective uh, series of Michael Mann movies on starting Memorial Day weekend. And I decided to see a few. I saw um, Miami Vice with Chris. And that was a lot of fun. Chris Vengeance, awesome. of course, you guys, you guys all know. And I also saw Collateral, which I really, really liked. Um, that might be my favorite of the three Michael Mann movies that I've seen so far. Oh, man, I love Collateral. It's like one of my favorite movies ever. I think that movie just rules. It's incredible. And also, I think Tom Cruise's best performance, at least someone, one that he's so perfectly cast as, that just uh, blank-eyed, 
a sociopathic like killer. Yeah, that's a surprisingly disarmingly charming. It's really really uh, great performance and also surprisingly romantic, which I quite like. I mean, I know that I heard that Michael Mann movies are also all quite romantic in that sense, but um, I'm you know discovering that for the first time, which is always really fun. Well, I, uh, not to jump ahead, but I'll just mention it here because I didn't really have much to say about it, but, um, I rewatched heat, uh, over the weekend. Cause I don't think my wife had ever seen it before. And it's been a long time since I've seen it, maybe 20 years or something at this point. And, um, I, I don't think that one is among the ones that you just listed HC. So I assume you've not caught up with heat yet, but, uh, holy crap. What a movie. Like it is, it is better than I remember. And I know that movie has like I think there was like a big viral tweet not too long ago. Like, what's the deal with heat? Like, why do people love this movie? And um, that was a, a big thing. If you're on film Twitter, maybe you saw that whole thing. So maybe people are like burned out on the concept of heat. But uh, if you sort of put all the noise aside and just watch the thing, it is really incredible. I mean, that uh, that diner scene between Pacino and De Niro. I mean, this is all like so basic film bro stuff. Um you know, to be like, oh my God, this, this movie is incredible, but it really is like, it, it truly, uh, is like one of the best crime movies ever made. And, um, the performances are incredible and that the, uh, it, it really just feels like pure Michael Mann. So if you're, you know, uh, diving into the Michael Mann waters HD, I can't wait until you, uh, watch heat for the first time. Cause I'm, I'm really curious to know what you think of it sort of, especially with, um, all of these other movies in the past, what, 25 years or something, um, you know, taking, cribbing so liberally from the the sort of template that uh, that Heat arguably perfected. You know, another fun fact about me is that I've not seen Heat, but I have seen Den of Thieves, which I've heard <laughs> is like the scumbag version of Heat. So it's very funny to me that I've seen this movie, but not Heat. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I still, uh, Den of Thieves is in my Netflix queue right now. So I've not seen that one yet, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll cross these movies off of our respective lists one of these days, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, I did an- initially intend to see Heat uh, at a big um, restoration screening at the Tribeca Film Festival. De Niro was going to attend. It was going to be very exciting, but of course, tickets sold out very quickly and I wasn't able to make it. Mm. But I did cover a few other films for the Tribeca Film Festival. I won't go through all of them. Um, I have a bunch of reviews that are on the site. You can check them out if you want to. Um, Tribeca is one of those festivals that are just mostly okay films, a lot of debut filmmakers that can be um, uh, a hidden discovery or mostly miss. So I don't I, but I have a loyalty to it since I've – it's one of the festivals I've covered since, you know, starting to do entertainment journalism. So, you know, it's uh, I have an affection for it. But yeah. um, And you've movie? seen some good stuff there too, I think. Yeah. Like um, there have been several movies over the past several years where I, I've read your reviews and been like, oh, man, I definitely need to check this out. So it's not like full of duds. Yeah, it's not full of duds. There are actually quite a few good ones. Like Plus One, the Maya Erskine uh, rom-com was at Tribeca and that was a lot of fun. Um, House of Hummingbird was a great South Korean drama, which I really enjoyed and I wish it kind of didn't fall to the wayside like a lot of Tribeca films mm-hmm. do. But um, one was, film uh, that was Little really Woods. Like, oh, was Little Woods a Tribeca movie? Yes, Little Woods was a Tribeca okay. movie. That was Nia DaCosta's debut feature film and she's the director of the Candyman uh, requel. Yeah. <laughs> Hard to define exactly, but she's got uh, the Marvels coming up, I think. Yes, the, the and the Marvels name. coming up. And yeah, Little Woods is an uh, excellent, excellent film. T- uh, Tessa Thompson is incredible in it, as is Lily James. So that's another one I would recommend as well. Um, one that I saw this year that I really liked actually was Official Competition, uh, which starred Penelope Cruz and Antonio Banderas. And I would describe it as the anti-drive my car. It's um, about the art of like filmmaking and of performance and acting, but 
instead of the sort of humanist, humanistic conclusion that Drive My Car comes to, which is that art is something that can, can connect us all and that we can heal and um, relate to each other through art, Drive My Car... Uh, uh, official competition is about how all art artists and all actors are idiots. <laughs> so, and Penelope Cruz and uh, Antonio Banderas are fantastic in it. They're really, really good. Uh, quite funny. Um, it's, it's basically an art house movie satire. So, I recommend that one. That's official competition. I think it's out in select theaters now, or might not no longer be because it came out like last month. But uh, mm. if you have the chance, I would recommend checking it out. Okay, awesome. Well, yeah, I'll uh, I'll put a couple links to um, some of your reviews from Tribeca in the show notes so people can check those out directly there. Uh, let's get into what we've been reading. I mentioned this uh, several weeks ago now with a, in a conversation with Ryan on, on this podcast that I was reading a book called SPQR, uh, A History of Ancient Rome. And that is because I'm my wife and I are planning this big five-week trip to Italy, uh, which kicks off at the end of next month. And um, I wanted to sort of immerse myself in that world a little bit and, and sort of, um, you know, get the lay of the land, uh, of, especially for Rome, since I think that is going to be, if I, if I have the schedule correct in my head, where, the city that we're going to spend the most time in. Um, I think we're going to spend the week in Rome. So um, walking around and sort of, you know, taking in all the sites and everything, I just wanted to have like a better understanding of, of the ground that I was walking on. And um, SPQR definitely does that. This book is like a uh, a sprawling uh, history of how this really, you know, tiny, shoddy little city, uh, this little village really um, grew into the center of a, a massive uh, an empire that, that, you know, was like one of the largest um, forces in, in the ancient world. And um, the, the book is really, um, it's kind of dry in places, but I, the thing I really appreciated the most about it is that it, it, uh, goes out of its way to sort of interrogate the um, general and sort of like accepted narratives of, um, you know, different books that have been published and like, uh, you know, Suetonius wrote a book called The Twelve Caesars that was sort of, and this was a long time ago, this is like in, in uh, you know, taught in classics classes and things like that. And it's it's sort of like a, a standard of like, oh, you have to learn about this when you're taking, you know, Greek and Roman studies classes or whatever. And this book, um, sort of interrogates a lot of the uh, the storylines and sort of narratives of that that have become accepted in the um, in the academic space, basically, and 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 like yeah, you know, this is what everyone kind of says. It, that's probably not exactly how it went down. Here, in fact, is how it probably likely went down instead, kind of thing. Um, and it, it's of course very you know uh, based on. Um, tons and tons of, of research and, and archaeological evidence and, and all that stuff. And it's, it's very, um, I think the, the big selling point for this book was supposed to be that it like, uh, explained all of this in layman's terms in a, in a way that was like really easy to understand. Um, like I said, the middle passage of, of this book, the middle section of it was a little dry to me. And sometimes my eyes did glaze over a little bit, even though I have like, uh, uh, you know, an interest in this subject matter. So if you have no interest in this whatsoever, like stay the hell away from this book. But if any of that, um, uh, you know, um, rings a bell for you or sort of um, tickles your fancy in any way, then uh, SPQR might be uh, a good thing to check out because it, it really, like I said, sort of um, flips the script a little bit on some of the, um, I guess, established narratives of, of how uh, Rome became the, the sort of massive uh, cultural hub that, that it is and, and was. So uh, SPQR, A History of Ancient Rome by Mary Beard is the name of the book. Um, you've been doing some reading as well. Yeah, I recently read for the first time Persuasion by Jane Austen. I read 
most of her books. I think this was the one book of hers that I hadn't read. Actually, there might be one more that I haven't read. It was one, another of her posthumous books. Um, but Persuasion is uh, was published after Austen's death, and it's considered her most mature and uh, thoughtful book. And it is, actually. It's quite um, – it has lost some of sort of the satirical edge that you see in a lot of her other books. It has one of her most mature protagonists in that it's an older woman, older as in she's 27. <laughs> um, and uh, she has- <laughs> Wow, that is that's ancient. <laughs> I know, it's ancient. And she's already uh, loved and lost before. So it's kind of about her coming into her quote unquote second bloom and uh, reuniting with a former flame and kind of discovering that she can love again, which is quite nice. But yeah, it's um, uh, a book that is- it's so interesting because um, the protagonist of the book, Anne Elliot, uh, is probably the least like a an Austen protagonist. She feels almost to me like a a Bronte sisters or um, protagonist. She, she reminds me a lot of Jane Eyre, for example, who's kind of this long suffering, more internal type of character, and not kind of the witty, sparkling heroines that you see in a lot of Austen books, um, which I found quite refreshing. So uh, I I quite liked. Persuasion. It's um, a book that I would not recommend to people who aren't as fond of Jane Austen or period romance pieces, but um, it's one that is, yeah, much more contemplative, much more uh, internal, and um, still has some of that commentary about society at the time because all of her family are idiots and that kind of thing, but uh, is less, uh, I guess, just um, light-handed as some of her other novels. So uh, Persuasion. Very quick read, uh, and there was a reason that I was reading it. It was for the review of the upcoming – is it already out? Yeah, upcoming um, adaptation of Persuasion that's coming to Netflix, starring Dakota Johnson. Okay, so that's a good transition into uh, what we've been watching. Wow, I'm so good at transitions. Anyways, Persuasion, <laughs> not great. Oh, the movie anyways. Yeah, okay. I have a review about this on SlashFilm.com. You can read the entire thing. But um, they make some bizarre choices in this film to try to appeal more to a younger sort of Gen Z audience by basically turning Anne Elliot, the protagonist of this book, into um, this sort of very modern heroine. She is not exactly a revisionist take, but they use sort of cutesy revisionist uh, modern day slang like there's one line where one of the characters says if you're a five in bath you're a ten or if you're five in london you're a ten in bath which is awful awful stuff oh, no. and this <laughs> fourth wall breaking uh conceit which feels like it's plucked out of fleabag but without the understanding of what made fleabag uh so good or without the skill of what made fleabag such a sharp commentary about society and women and uh, love and uh, it's 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 very clunky it's just uh, uh, I don't know who this is for <laughs> um, uh, yeah not a good movie uh, you can read the, the rest of it in my review but that's uh, unfortunate I think uh, Dakota Johnson stars in that right yes she that plays seems like a rare a rare miss for her because she seemed to be sort of on a tear there for a little while yeah but. I really like her as an actress I think that she has a secret funny bone which not a lot of movies utilize well but also she's very good for those more highbrow high octate high high art movies mm. um, and uh, this one is kind of more appealing to sort of like the lowbrow rom-coms that she's done um but i don't know it's just uh it she's fine in it but 
the choices that everyone makes in this movie from the director to the writer to even Johnson uh, who plays Anne Elliot as sort of like a Bridget Jones type sad sack with like a wine bottle in her hand half the time. I'm like, why mm. is she always swigging from a wine bottle? No one knows. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's a, it's, it's a very odd series of choices. Um, and people who are a fan of Austin books in general probably hate this with a fiery passion. <laughs> Okay. Well, yesterday on the podcast, Brad and I spent almost an hour talking about Thor Love and Thunder. So what did you think about that? You know what? I liked it fine. I hmm. thought Thor Love and Thunder was perfectly fun, fine time. And I am kind of in the middle of the very polarized reactions that, that, that have come out of the movie. Either people um, saying that it's great, that it's the be- one of the best, it's better than Thor Ragnarok, which I disagree with uh, or that it's the death of cinema uh, and I think that it was it's not as emotionally or thematically coherent as Ragnarok um, but and it's it takes some really goofy wild swings but I appreciate it for just taking those swings even if I, how I would characterize the movie is basically just two hours of Taika IT laughing at his own jokes mm. um, I think if you are on board for that then you will enjoy it. But also I understand that if you are not on board for that, you will find it the most grating piece of movie of like waiting two hours of a movie that you will see. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm honestly ha- having mostly liked it. Um, and I even, when it finally comes around to its more emotional core, which is like the father daughter relationship, which I thought actually I quite liked um, despite very like slapdash beginning, um, I think that all the hot air being spilled over it is is more tedious than the movie itself. I'm mm. I'm I'm tired of people uh, just kind of decrying it as, as like making it this battleground for cinema as being like this is the end all be all of like of um, you know the destruction of cinema by yeah. Marvel's hands. I I think it's perfectly fine. It's middle of the road Marvel for me. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say it's middle of the road Marvel for me as well. So, um, yeah, I think we're we're definitely on the same page there. Uh, yeah, the idea that like this, the 29th Marvel Studios movie, is the referendum on what you know the the state of cinema today is like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little silly. Like, have we not had this conversation you know 20 times already with all of these movies along the way? It sort of feels like we're just repeating the same kind of thing over and yeah. over again. But. It's a goofy, silly film. Just let it be. <laughs> okay, well, uh, the Gray Man HT. I've seen the trailer for this, and this does not look like a goofy, silly film. But is it? And this is this comes from uh, the Russo brothers, who obviously have, have had uh, their hands in the Marvel Cinematic Universe for quite some time. Well, I will be writing a review for this that you'll be able to read in a couple of days, so I won't go fully too deep into this film. Um, it's aggressively mediocre. Mm. Is what I will say. And uh, I would think it's fine if it didn't feel like a waste of Ryan Gosling's talents, who I believe is one of our finest working actors today. I think he's just an incredible, really internal um, performer and actor who has managed to avoid being the generic leading man for all of his career, basically, uh, and how has always made interesting choices. And I feel like everything that he does or is made to do <laughs> in this film is the least interesting he's ever been 
son of a... That, that was the one thing I didn't want to hear, AJ. Because then. he's been off the screen for, you know, a few years, right? I think he took a, a decent-sized break. And this was this is being marked as, like, the big return of Ryan Gosling. And I've been excited to see him come back. And I'm like, well, the movie might be bad, but at least, like, Gosling and Chris Evans, like, it's got to be kind of entertaining on that front, right? But the fact that you're saying that it's a waste of Gosling's talents is really dispiriting to me, so... And uh, Armis is good. Okay. All right. Well, I guess that's something. Um, well, I, I look forward to uh, to more of your thoughts and when your review is published. So stay tuned for that. And I'm sure uh, the rest of us will be talking about that movie a little bit more uh, as it comes out. And then I think it comes out, what, like next week or two weeks from now or something like that on Netflix. So um, it's definitely going to be one of the ones that I can tell already that Netflix is going to like put a lot of resources behind because like, I think it costs a lot of money. So um, you're going to see it splashed all over the front page. It's probably going to end up in the top 10. A lot of people are going to be talking about it and it sounds like maybe uh maybe this is sort of in the the vein of like a red notice where uh it's a lot of bluster for a movie that doesn't necessarily deserve all that talk but um okay what else have you been watching hd more mediocre movies ben oh no <laughs> Uh, Where the Crawdads Sing is a, an adaptation of a best-selling beach read, and it feels very much like that. Uh, my review for that just went up online today. Um, it's fine. It feels – it's a perfectly fine promotion for a new Taylor Swift song. <laughs> and uh, the most interesting aspect of it is the fact that the author behind the original book is still wanted and questioning for a murder that, you know, she didn't – it reportedly she didn't commit it but she's connected to it whoa um, i had no idea about this i need to send you the article for this because it's fascinating it was it was a an on-screen murder that accidentally was televised in i think 1996 um and she was living in zambia at the time with her uh, husband and they were con- conservationists who were basically like in this big um standoff with poachers uh, in the country and uh it it involves the murder of a poacher that was accidentally televised, and uh, she ha- is still wanted in Zambia along with her husband and her stepson. <laughs> the fact that somebody who's wanted, who went on, you know, like that person goes on to write a best-selling book that is then adapted into a movie—that sounds also like about a premise. murder trial. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Okay, I didn't even know that. So that sounds like the premise of an interesting movie. Um, it's almost like it, they should have made that into the movie instead of just adapting where the crawdads sing. But. Yeah, and if you're looking for any sort of connection or whether she actually ref- like you know refers to or uh, the refers to the her the real life murder which she to which she is connected to or adjacent to in this book don't find it or in this movie don't find it because mm. you know it's it's very it's very okay <laughs> anyways um check, check out my review on slashfilm.com uh but you know ha- being so uh, uninspired by the string of mediocre movies that i'm watching for work i decided to, to throw on something that i uh would Give me some inspiration. And uh, that's Wong Kar Wai's Fallen Angels, uh, which is the 1995 um, nighttime counterpart to Chunking Express. Uh, has, if you remember, Takashi, Takeshi Kaneshiro, who was uh, in the original Chunking Express as well. He appears as the sim- same character in Fallen Angels. And it's similar to Chunking Express. It's just a series of vignettes loosely connected uh, a bunch of people who are kind of wandering around Hong Kong um, with their 
love, their ennui for love and romance, uh, taking over their lives and connecting and misconnecting and that kind of thing, but uh, grounded in the sort of underground scene of Hong Kong, gangsters and murder and whatnot. Um, it's very much a mood, very much a vibe, much like Wong Kar Wai's films are. I really, really enjoyed this. I think, I mean, not as much as Chungking Express, which actually might be my favorite of the Wong Kar Wai movies that I've seen, but I just really love being in this world and enjoying this this time and mood and place um, that Fallen Angels depicted. So um, yes, Fallen Angels, uh, another great Wong Kar Wai film. I think it's streaming on HBO Max if you want to check it out. I was going to ask because I have not seen this one and I'm I'm curious because I just saw Chunking Express for the first time, you know, a year or two ago and uh, and really enjoyed that. So um, yeah, I, I definitely, uh, like you said, it, it's a it's a mood and a vibe and like sometimes that's just the exact perfect thing to sort of scratch that itch. So uh, I'm definitely putting that in the queue for whenever that mood strikes me. So, yes. um, okay. What's the last thing that you have written down? Last here, thing that I've seen and we watched is our flag means death. So, you know, Taika Waititi right now is kind of the, the, the bad word on film Twitter. Everyone, he's kind of the new pariah uh, of, uh, of film Twitter of our pop cultural landscape. I interviewed him. He is a sweetheart. Um, and you know, not everyone is on board for his particular brand of goofy humor. I'm often not either. Um, I think I seeing him in Free Guy, the Ryan Reynolds uh, video game vehicle, really put him on my nerves. I just, he was very much um, just, it was very clear that he was just improvising the entire time and no one was stopping him. And you're like, mm. when is this going to stop? So I've never really warmed to him as a performer. Uh, that is until I watched Our Flag Means Death, the queer pirate comedy uh, that aired on HBO Max, I think roughly three or four months ago. And I fell in love with this show. Uh, it's created by David Jenkins and it stars Reese Darby as the gentleman pirate, Steve Bonnet, uh, based off of the real historical figure. Um, who was also active at the same time as Blackbeard. And who stars as Blackbeard but Taika Waititi, giving his best performance of his career. Um, not only is he, you know, very skilled at the comedy that, and the particular type of comedy that Our Flag Means Death has, which is very wholesome, very goofy, but honestly very cozy comedy. Mm -hmm. uh, Taika Waititi is surprisingly good at the dramatic parts of Our Flag Means Death, so much so that it really captured um, my imagination for the past few weeks since I've watched it and has not left my brain. And I read all the choices that he's, he makes, um, I'm always really impressed by. And there's a lot more um, just complex and deep than I've, I'm used to him seeing. He often plays very broad, sometimes satirical characters. And here he gets to tap into the well of emotions that I've never seen him tap into. Um, some that are based on his own childhood uh, trauma and experiences. I know that he based it partly off of his uh, childhood growing up with an absentee father who was in a biker gang, and his black beard is very much inspired by that kind of figure. Um, but yeah, I I love our black man stuff. I love it. It's very much an anachronistic historical uh, rom com show, uh, but you you can tell that the creators and writers of this show did a lot of research into this specific time period and the figures within it and then decided that they didn't need 
80% of it. <laughs> and we're just like, we're just going to do what we want. And it really works for this show. I absolutely love it. It's just so cozy, surprisingly compassionate, really funny, um, and just kind of comes around with a surprising um, dramatic and emotional gut punch at the end. Um, I love it. I'm glad that you mentioned that because I think when I talked about the show, whatever, a, a few months ago, I, I leaned more on the comedy when I was sort of trying to describe it to whoever I was talking to about it on that episode. And um, and yeah, the, the show is like, I think it's, you know, capital G great because of not only that that mixture of comedy and drama, but like you're saying that sort of like um, deep uh, emotional melancholy and sadness that that uh, goes throughout the Taika character and, and Reese Darby who like you know, is great on, um, on, uh, uh, what is the name of the show? The flight of the Concords. Um, you know, that, that was like one of the first big, I guess his like breakout role. Uh, and I went back and watched that after seeing our flag means death, just because I wanted more of Reese Darby in my life, but he is tremendous in the show too. And like, I think the show sort of gets painted with this like, um, light and frothy brush where it's like, oh yeah, it's just this sort of goofy pirate comedy on HBO max, but it actually has like real uh, emotional depth to it in, in like a serious way. It's it's a really, really good show that I think is being underestimated a little bit. Yeah, so. it's breaking. It's about breaking down toxic masculinity and um, the expectations that we have for men in society through queer pirates. And mm-hmm. I think that's pretty incredible. Yeah, great stuff. And and you can tell like, um, I mean, H.C., the fact that you've already, like watched the show and then already rewatched it again, <laughs> you're you're one of, I don't know, five or six people on the Slash Film staff who have done that in, in a few months. Like this is a show that has inspired an incredibly fervent fan base in a very, very short period of time. And uh, it's easy to see why. I think that is like a, a testament to the quality of the, of the show and the, the multi layers that it's sort of working on, you know? So, Agreed. um, yeah, great stuff. Okay. So, uh, real quick, um, I watched, uh, the unbearable weight of massive talent, which I think a lot of people have talked about on, uh, previous episodes of the, the water cooler here. So I'll just say that I, I really enjoyed this. Uh, I was expecting, it, it's pretty much exactly what I was expecting. Um, which is just Pedro Pascal and Nicolas Cage hanging out and goofing off for, you know, an hour and a half or whatever. And, um, it, it is, uh, really, really enjoyable stuff. So um, if you've not seen that, I think it's on Amazon. It's, it's Maybe I rented it on Amazon Prime Video or something um, for a couple dollars or something. I don't think it's streaming anywhere for quote unquote free yet, but uh, I would say it's it's worth checking out. It's it's a lot of fun. Uh, I finished The Bear, which I did a, a solo podcast not too long ago because everybody was super busy. And I had, I think I was halfway through the bear at the point when I was doing that podcast and I finished it and like, holy shit, the show is so good. Uh, the ending, it, it somehow ends even stronger than it begins. And, um, that is saying a lot because it, it's a really incredible series. Actually, I'm sure you've heard about the bear. Do you have any interest in watching this? I have interest in watching it. I need to be in a correct mind space because I know it's extremely tense mm-hmm. um, and very, you know, uncut gem style chaotic. So I need to, I, I really want to watch it though. I've heard good things about it. Everyone oh. on, the, on staff has been raving about it. Yeah, it, it is uh, just tremendous television storytelling and like the uh i don't want to say anything about the ending of it but it is just like the the final couple shots the final you know episode um it just uh yeah it's great i'll just leave it at that um i'm I'm very curious to see what you think about it because i i don't think i've seen a person 
yet who has watched the whole show and has, has been like, ah, eh, that's not for me. Um, and, or like, I didn't think that was well executed or I didn't like it. Um, so it really is like one of those sort of, um, uh, shows that really just like sucks you in and, and takes you into a world and immerses you fully. And, um, I, you just like love the characters and love everything about it by the time it's over. So, uh, it's great stuff. Um, I mentioned heat already and then, okay. So, so I think we watched uh, heat on Friday night and I was like, let's watch something that is the complete opposite of heat. Let's instead of trying to, you know, watch another crime movie or like a thriller or something, that's probably not going to be as good as heat because heat is so great. Let's go in the complete opposite direction. And so my wife and I watched uh, moonstruck, which neither of neither of us had ever seen. And actually I remember, yeah, I remember you talking about this not too long ago and it's been on my queue uh, ever since. And, um, this movie is so weird. It's so strange. It's written by John Patrick Shanley, who also wrote, um, wild mountain time, which is like one of the most deranged, uh, romances that I've seen in years and years. That movie that came out in 2020 with, um, uh, Emily, uh, Blunt and Jamie Dorn, uh, Jamie Dornan, excuse me. Um, that, that movie is so bizarre. And I was like, well, you know, that was 2020. Uh, Moonstruck came out in 1988. I know it like won an Oscar and uh, it actually ended up winning three Oscars. Like Cher won Best Actress, um, uh, Olympia Dukakis won Best Supporting Actress, and then this movie won Best Original Screenplay. So I was like, you know, this is going to be a more, um, (laughs) not, uh, it's going to be like a more um, serious version of a romance and like not quite as deranged. And I would argue it's like almost equally (laughs) deranged as, as Wild Mountain Time. It is a really, really odd movie. Um, It's extremely melodramatic. Oh yeah. I think I described it as uh, just like normal New York people who somehow are in a Shakespeare play. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And there, there's a, um, I forget what the name of the, oh, it's it's uh, La Boheme, I think, is the like the opera production that, that's going on. And the movie, there's sort of like this, um, I don't know, like like uh, undercurrent of like this show being put on. And it's sort of, yeah, it really does. It's like a, um, what would you call it? Like a, uh, a bookend of sorts almost of like the, the movie opens with um, scene, a scene of like a, uh, my my mind is blanking right now but like um the set uh construction and like the the backdrops for the opera traveling through new york city and being delivered and things like that so it's sort of like um calling to mind the artifice of the situation that these characters are going to be in it's almost like putting them in front of this backdrop that you know is like heightened and surreal Mm -hmm. um but uh (laughs) <laughs> like it works, but it's just so strange. Like the, I, I thought Cher was terrific in it. I really, really enjoyed her performance and I'm not like a huge Cher fan. So uh, that I, I considered to be a big win. Um, Nicholas Cage was like really going for it, but Nicolas in a way Cage that- like unhinged in this movie. It's it, incredible. Yeah, but, <laughs> it, like he is definitely unhinged, but it's also like weirdly, um, it, it weirdly works for the yeah. tone that this movie is striking. Like there are, there are movies where Nicolas Cage is unhinged and it sort of becomes a joke or like doesn't fit. And it's, you know, the movie becomes known for Nicolas Cage being unhinged in it. And Moonstruck itself is so strange that Nicolas Cage being strange in this movie, uh, it doesn't really, um, set off any alarm bells, you know, it just sort He's of on like the right, feels... exact right wavelength <laughs> that this movie is on, which yeah. is heightened, and and weird and play like almost it's like i think like i feel like the moon is like so much bigger and i feel like all the emotions are as big as everything 
Yes. Yeah. Um, what is the name of the uh, gangster musical where Luck Be a Lady Tonight is is the big song? Oh, uh, that, guys uh, and Dolls. Yes, Guys and Dolls. Uh, so in Guys and Dolls, the the um, I think I don't remember exactly which couple it is. Sinatra or Brando is is you know romantically involved with one of these women, and I think the the amount of time that elapses in that the movie version of that uh, of that play is like three days and the characters get married and something similar happens in Moonstruck where it's just like how long how many hours have you guys known each other but this love is like so uh explosive and electric and just like off the charts that it just sort of feels like undeniable in this really um yeah super heightened way so uh yeah Moonstruck it's it's quite a movie uh I I mean it, it it honestly gave me the feeling that I get sometimes when I watch something from like the thirties or forties where like the characters are behaving in such like screwball ways that it, it doesn't remotely represent um, in any way that any person that I know would actually uh, behave, but it really works as a movie. So I'll, I'll give it that. But <laughs> I still quote Nicholas Cage's line where he's like, I lost my hand. I lost my wife. Johnny has his hand. Johnny has his wife. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. I mean, I would love to know the um, the circumstances in which you quote that line, HD. <laughs> there are surprising um, amounts. <laughs> okay. So uh, sort of on the other end of the spectrum, I also watched Sense and Sensibility for the first time, the 1995 uh, movie based on the, the Jane Austen novel that Emma Thompson wrote and uh, stars in. And she won an Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay for this. Uh, Kate Winslet plays her character's younger sister. Hugh Grant and Alan Rickman are in this. The cast is great. And um, man, this is just like, I think one of my favorites, if not my favorite of this entire uh, subgenre. I don't know what you, what the the um, exact subgenre would be. I don't know the, the difference Austin between- The Austin genre, honestly. Yeah, but I don't know she the difference it. between like- um, Edwardian and Victorian and like, uh, you know, um, Regency era. Like I, I couldn't tell you what, what the, uh, distinguish the, you know, the, the distinguishing characteristics of those, um, lines are. But, uh, I think out of all of that, all of those types of movies, Sense and Sensibility is like top tier for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Ang Lee directed this and, uh, it just feels, um, timeless in a really, really great way. The performances are all like, uh, heartfelt and really um, grounded and you know in it's the exact opposite of Moonstruck in that like every decision the characters make feels um, feels real and human and like uh, relatable and like the emotions that these people are going through even though you know as, as heightened as they can be in in some senses um, they just feel so uh, so like yeah recognizable to to the human experience and um I assume you've seen this movie. Has I it have. been a while since you've seen this one? I, it has been a while, but I do really enjoy it. I would, I wouldn't say it's my favorite. Uh, it's high up there. It might be my number two, honestly. My favorite is the Joe Wright Pride and Prejudice. Uh, oh yeah, I still is, haven't seen that one. Oh, it's incredible, Ben. Mm, maybe um, it'll uh, overtake this one for me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that one is the one that close, most closely captures the, the feeling that you have in a Jane Austen novel, which is like this sort of palpable emotion and um, kind of connection and tension that you, that between people who are, you know, just happen to be in these period costumes, but it's, it's a much more emotive and um, really, really beautiful film. Um, Yeah. It kind of feels like if I would describe it as a bodily emotion, it feels kind of, kind of like having, something stuck in your throat, like a little, like an emotion stuck in your throat. Mm -hmm. Um, I 
I love the 2005 Joe Wright Pride and Prejudice, but I I have an affection for the Sense of Sensibility, um, directed by Ang Lee. I love all the actors in it, and I yeah, they're so good. Really, I love Alan Rickman in yeah. this film. I think oh he's incredible. He gives such soft glances, and um, it makes me melt every time. Yeah, he's tremendous, and like just you know knowing that he reunited with uh, with Emma Thompson later in his, his career um, several times. Actually, they crossed paths a bunch of times, but like I don't know if this was the first time that they were in a movie together. But they their characters are not like romantically linked, but they um, they sort of are sta- standing on the sidelines as characters that they love are um, are experiencing hardships and and uh, traumas and, and troubles, and like they share uh a a bond in a way and like the the yeah the sort of like longing romance that that permeates this movie um really from from all sides is uh so effective and so well done so yeah i I just you know this is a movie that like you know when i from the ages of let's say i don't know birth to uh 22 20 maybe later than that 26 i would have been like allergic to this type of movie and i'm so glad that um that, that I, can, I mean, this, this sounds so stupid that I'm like patting myself on the back for like opening my horizons a little bit. But I encourage anybody out there who, you know, maybe is in that same mindset that I used to be in, just like the uh, the wonders of cinema are, are out there waiting for you to to uh, take them in. And like this movie, um, I'm sad that I didn't come to this movie earlier in my life because uh, it's so, so good. And I was missing out on so much. So uh, I'm, I am like partially ashamed that I used to, you know, look down my nose at movies like this and, and be like, Ugh, that's not for me at all. But I'm also partially happy that I have like, you know, that I get to watch Joe Wright's uh, Pride and Prejudice for, for the first time, even though I'm 20 years late to it or whatever. So um, yeah, I, all this is a very long winded way of saying, uh, if you've not seen Sense and Sensibility, please go check it out because it's, it's really, really great. And it's on HBO Max right now. So It's never too late to come around to a masterpiece or come around to a movie that you really, really love. You know? Yes. Don't, don't hate on people for having their blind spots. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Uh, okay, so I think that's going to do it for today's episode. You can find more about a lot of the stuff that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most, exci- most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at SlashFilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.